This is Law of the Land with Gloria J. Brown Marshall, and I am so pleased to be here with you during this Black History Month. As a very proud African-American, I look to this month and all through the year, but I look through this month to highlight some of the issues, achievements, challenges, and of course, to circle back to honor our ancestors in the fact that we have survived for this time in this country, this space, this place, under this oppression. Going forward, we're going to have two guests today, one of whom is someone you admire, I am sure, especially in New Jersey, and that will be Larry Ham. And then we're going to um, stretch our wings and fly over the Atlantic to bring with us a brother from Scotland. So all of those who did not know that there is a Black History Month and a Black History in Scotland, then you will find out that their Black History Month is actually in October but they're going to be sharing black history with us from Scotland today. And so before we begin this, I think I left you with the idea that there might be some issues I was facing. One of them being I was going to Florida to talk about black history as a keynote speaker at a college there. I did indeed do that. And I told you, please have the bail money just in case. Well, I am back unhandcuffed this time around, but I'll tell you, what I saw there was so challenging as one word, disgusting as another. When I arrived in Florida late last week, I found that the president of one of the colleges had been fired by minions of DeSantis's and um, was told, if you try to protest this firing, you'll be fired with cause, which means this president of the college would not receive a pension. So if you just be quiet and let us do what we do, and which is going to take you out of your job, then you will have a firing without cause. And still, of course, the implication is get your full pension. This is what's going on in Florida. I was there in the room when conversations were taking place as to whether or not there could be a black history program. I being the keynote speaker for said program as I'm wondering what is this that they fear, not just what I'm going to say, but what is the fear of people knowing about the contributions, the achievements, the obstacles faced by people of African descent in this country. And there is a fear. There's not just a fear that the world will know, this country will know, but the shame, that's the feeling, anyone feeling that they are feeling uncomfortable. You're feeling uncomfortable with the murder, the lynching, the burning alive of human beings. There should be some discomfort. The discomfort is also with the idea that it goes in smack conflict with this liberal sense of liberty in this country. So to face the truth, which is something that, keep in mind, we force on other countries on a daily basis for them to face their truth. And yet, as the arbiters of democracy, we don't want to face the truth in this country about democracy being undermined for groups of people of color for centuries. 
that hypocrisy is what this country's leadership does not want to face. When we terrorize, beat to death, shoot in the back, many, many, many dozens, hundreds of people, and then turn around and say, you are not to talk about it. This is what is happening in this country. But it's not the first time. Because before, when the hanging body from the lynching mob was left for the next morning, the strange fruit, people knew about it. Those who participated, those white liberals, those African-Americans, those of other groups within that city, that town, that farmland, they knew about it. No one could speak about it on penalty of death because that mob would come for them next. That's what happened all this time. That's why all of this is surging out right now, because it was under penalty of death that people did not speak about what happened in this country over 4,000 people lynched. Do you think they wanted to be quiet? The race riots, the, the burning down of Tulsa and Rosewood and East St. Louis and so many other places around this country. Do you think they wanted to keep it to themselves? No. They understood that the intimidation, you either go with cause or without cause. Either way, you're going to go. In this country, it was murder for those who opened their mouths. I know people whose families had to flee in the middle of the night in the trunks of cars in order to get out of Louisiana, Mississippi, Florida, and Alabama in order to save the lives of their sons and daughters to keep them from being raped and murdered. They had to leave. Toni Morrison, the poet laureate, talks about what was happening in her hometown in Alabama that caused her to have to move to Ohio. And yet... They feel themselves the victims. They actually sent a, a, a piece of paper. Yes, I have it in front of me and I can take a picture of it and send it to you that sends out this warning. I'm reading it right now. Education, not indoctrination. Governor DeSantis's proposal will specify standards and content for general education core course requirements in higher education is rooted in the values of liberty and Western tradition. Yes, he already passed a law that says you can't say gay in K through 12. And now they want to attack higher education and they are attacking it through intimidation by firing the president of that college. It was to send a message and it did. They were terrified when I arrived there. They didn't know what to do. There were certain words I was not allowed to say in my speech. I was not allowed to say the word diversity. I was not allowed to say the word racism or equity or inclusion in my speech. Now, I could have done it anyway, but it would have led to so much trouble for those people down there. But I, I said my speech. I said what I came there to say. The only thing I changed was instead of saying the word diversity, I refer to it as the D word. That's how sick it is in the 21st century in the year 2023 in the United States of America. Let the world know or as maybe Till Mobley said, let the world see what they did to her son. Let the world see what this country is truly about, what has happened and continues to happen here.
right here. And then some of you may know that two white supremacists, neo-Nazis, were charged with planning to attack the electric grid in Baltimore because it's a majority black city. And you see these attacks on grids across the country, but they're like, oh, these can't be connected. That's what the prosecutors are saying. Oh, this is just them, these, these two people who decided that they're going to do this. Sarah Clint Daniel, 27, of Catonsville, Maryland, and Brandon Russell, 34, of Orlando, Florida. Orlando, Florida. Don't let Mickey Mouse fool you about Florida. It is the deep south. Yes, you have Miami. Yes, you have rides and fun. You have racism deeply embedded there. But you also have racism that comes over from other countries that is also in Florida. So here we have our Black History Month. But I want you to understand this. We will not be erased. Black History Month was started as Negro History Week by Dr. Carter G. Woodson in 1926. He was the second black person to receive a doctorate from Harvard. Yes, a doctorate from Harvard. And we need to also know that he's considered the father of black history. Dr. Carter G. Woodson is the man behind the month, the Black History Month. And the reason why February was chosen for Black History Month is because Dr. Woodson wanted to have a month that included the birth dates of both Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass. That's why the month of February is Black History Month. We'll be right back after this musical break. And I want you to think about this. For all of those who may believe that we're in this post-liberal sense of post-racism, post-lynching, post-oppression, please understand there is a lot of work to be done. And the theme that's set by ASALA, the Association for the Study of African American Life and History, set each year by this organization that was also founded by Dr. Woodson, the Association for the Study of African American Life and History. The theme for this year is set to be this and is this and continues all year round. The theme is Black Resistance. We'll be right back. Scott, black female 
pianist, jazz artist, band leader from the 1940s, taking a chance on love. Because black joy, black love, black laughter, African-American life will go on and I am going to enjoy my black self no matter what the oppressors say or think about me. And that is one way to have black resistance. Enjoy your life, find places of peace, take care of your health, love your children, love your parents, have friends, and take care of this planet that we're on. Enjoy the sky that's outside, but also keep in mind the balance between all of that joy and your responsibility to make the world a better place for generations to come. And someone who has done that and continues to do that is Mr. Larry Hamm, human and civil rights activist, humanitarian, public speaker, the founder and creator of People's Organization for Progress. Good morning, Larry. Good morning, Gloria. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. And as I said, um, I'm going to um, enjoy my life in between the the jigs and jags of trying to um, outrun and sometimes just take a breather when it comes to the oppression that we're under. Um, and right now, because it's Black History Month, because there's so much vilification of black people and hatred, um, you have people who are planning all kinds of things and those who have succeeded in taking our lives and undermining our progress um, are still averting the um, hands of justice. But then justice seems to be just us, right? Gloria, I heard your opening monologue. And all I have to say is WTF. <laughs> what, what, what is going on in Florida? I'm asking that question rhetorically because I know what's going on. What's going on is white supremacy. But to hear this eyewitness report, it was Orwellian. You know, I, I know a lot of people in our listening audience, WBAI, know what that means. But just to say that George Orwell wrote this book that many of us were required to read in high school. I had to read 1984 in high school, in my humanities class. And, of course, we were taught that this was some type of uh, uh, satirical critique uh, of, of uh, the Soviet Union at that time. But it appears more and more relevant to the United States. I mean, the fact that you, a distinguished educator, a professor at a college, could be dictated to not to say certain words that reflect the reality that we're currently dealing with. It is outrageous. It is outrageous. And um, it is one of the reasons why the People's Organization for Progress is calling for a demonstration to protest the ban on black history for Saturday, February 25th. Well, I want to go back to two things. Um, I, I want you to know that I'm holding the paper in my hand that I that I saw was handed out to um, intimidate professors, intimidate um, administrators in Florida, and one of this um, the the proposed amendments to the law that DeSantis is contemplating. 
prohibits public institutions from supporting campus activities or programs that promote, they call it, divisive concepts like DEI and CRT. So, you know, um, diversity, equity, and inclusion is now divisive and, and, and actually speaks to making sure that the, the, the education, it, the values of liberty and Western tradition so they're telling them, don't even speak about what's happening in the rest of the world. You're only going to teach the, the values of Western tradition. And then there's the, these are the values, oppression. That's the, the value, intimidation, the value. There's, I mean, if you can just imagine the hypocrisy even in this, as though if you whitewash, and I mean that, whitewash history to make it appear as though we're always and only the good guys and everybody else is bad. And therefore, we want to keep that myth going on. And if you so deign teach real history, you will be fired and then be left without a pension. And they've turned into this, this, this post-tenure review. So even those professors with tenure can be fired. And they're doing all of this in order to, as you say, to maintain white supremacy. But I also want to go to um, another part of this. And I think it's also because what your organization is doing and what so many people are seeing is that young white people are becoming aware of their nation's history. And because they're becoming aware, they're beginning to think for themselves. They're beginning to want to join in the cause of change. And I think that's what these older people are saying, these older generations, because it actually says in here, Governor DeSantis' proposal includes refocusing three Florida institutes on developing courses and curriculum that can be used to educate the next generation on the values of liberty and constitutionalism. So they're afraid, as they were in Brown versus Board of Education, that once you begin to see the reality of American life as a young person, then you'll begin to question what these values are that they've been inculcated with and want to change things for the better. Gloria, you are absolutely correct. And what is happening in Florida, of course, it is a, an example of white supremacy, but it is also an example of the growing fascist movement in this country. What is happening in Florida is fascism, and what DeSantis is trying to do is create a fascist curriculum that uh, touts the white supremacist narrative, but they're doing this, as you pointed out, Gloria, not just for the black students. They're doing it for all the students. And, you know, it is Hitlerian. What, what DeSantis, and as one of my friends says, DeSatan, uh, is doing in Florida is the same thing that Nazis did in Germany in uh, the 1930s. You know, the, 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 the firing of professors that, you know, didn't uh, toe the fascist line, didn't toe the Nazi party line, the rewriting of curriculum, the banning of books. They are banned. And this is happening, Gloria, all around the country. It's not just happening in Florida. It's happening to a greater or lesser degree in nearly every state in the United States. I learned a couple of weeks ago. I mean, I wasn't surprised, but I, I didn't know the exact figure 
that more than 500 bills have been been introduced in state legislatures all around the country to uh, uh, eliminate the teaching of uh, CRT. And we know what they mean by CRT. It's really not just about critical race theory, which is taught, you know, mainly in graduate schools and law schools. It's about banning black history. And if they can't ban it totally, if they can't eliminate it, they want to rewrite the black history to the benefit of the white supremacists, the very people we've been struggling against for the last 400 years uh, in this hemisphere. So, you know, and the other thing is that on the one hand, we have what DeSantis is doing, but on the other hand, the silence from people who should be speaking out is even more concerning to me. I and I, I, I want you I want you to, I want you to take that point with our limited time and I want you to take that point and I want you to bring it up north because yes when I got off the plane after it was 12 degrees up here and it was you know 80 down there it's like okay that's you know you I can see the lulling into la la land and how beautiful <laughs> it is and and all of that but as you said it's the land that time forgot but that's but right. but uh, but I also want to take us to New Jersey, because as you said, where this is happening around the country, but the oppression and the um, the police state in which um, officers uh, can kill with impunity. Um, we saw what happened um, in Memphis. And as these um, uh, officers wanted to, I guess, show their force to the to white officers who were watching they they don't show them in the video, but there were white officers who were deputy sheriffs and others who were on the outside of the periphery of that battle of of those of oppressors, uh, minions who were beating Tyree Nichols, and they were like acting for their 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 white masters, I guess. And so, but then they then it was asked, well, why weren't those officers who did not stop the incident, did not lend a hand, why weren't those officers also, you know, um, um, charged with crimes as they had been in the George Floyd case? And so this this way in which the police state is there to undermine rights, to intimidate, to show force, and then get away with it with impunity also sends a message, an ongoing message, that you're only as strong as that bullet held by a public servant and that mindset that can pull the trigger. This is absolutely true, Gloria. We live in a, it's a police state in Florida. It's a police state in Memphis, Tennessee. It's a police state here in New Jersey. Uh, what is happening in Florida is also happening in New Jersey. These right-wing uh, MAGA Republicans, uh, Trump followers, are being elected to school boards in towns around this state, and they are trying to ban uh, black books books about black people written by black and white authors uh, in school districts around this state. And uh, in Westfield, for instance, they tried to ban Toni Morrison's book, The Bluest Eye. And this is happening in, in, in other districts also. And this attack on black studies has been going on for several decades. In fact, I would dare say, I would venture to say that they're on 
some college campuses, there are fewer black professors, there are fewer black studies courses than there were 25 years ago. This attack has been going on for quite some time. And, and the police, they lynched Tyree Nichols in Memphis, but we've had those same lynchings right here in New Jersey. Just this morning, Gloria, just this morning, I got a call from the sister uh, of Major Gulia Dale III. Major Gulia Dale was a veteran career Army officer. He served three tours of duty in Iraq, only to return to his hometown, Newton, New Jersey, and be killed by the police there on the 4th of July. I can't make this stuff up. He survived the war in Iraq to come home and be killed by white police officers in Newton, New Jersey. And just this morning, his sister, uh, Valerie Dale, called me and told me that the grand jury came back yesterday, yesterday evening, with a decision not to indict the officer that shot and killed uh, Major Gulia Dale. We're going to have a press conference about that tomorrow at 11 a.m. in front of the federal building in Newark, 970 Broad Street in Newark, New Jersey. That's where the office of the United States Attorney for the District of New Jersey uh, is located, and we're going to condemn this grand jury decision and call on the U.S. Attorney for New Jersey to immediately launch a civil rights investigation into the murder of uh, Major Gulia Dale. So, yes, you know, from Florida to Tennessee to New Jersey to New York, we are facing racism, fascism, and the police state. And you also have uh, Carl Dorsey. Um, you have other cases. You have been on the case for decades, as starting off in high school and going in through college, and and just always been the one who had the vision to even create the organization Pop and to go forward with the energy you have. Um, what I I want you to talk about a few more of these cases in our last two minutes, but I yes. also want you to ask, um, and if you can receive from people um, some type of, of pledge, I guess, that, that they will stay aware because people think, oh, that's New Jersey, it's across the, the river, but it's like, you know, the Hudson is, is just a stream, basically. We have a bridge in which racist ideals and ideologies are flowing back and forth, coming from Florida, going back down, flowing around this country through social media. We need to stay aware, and your organization is um, one of those that people should have um, and receive your emails. So if you could just tell us about these few cases Cases, especially the Carl Dorsey case. Uh, we yes. do have a New Jersey man who was shot in the back by police. And we have today, um, for the first time, I don't know if you know about it, but Officer Jerry Moravec, 40, um, shot a, a, a man in the back and Khalif Cooper and was indicted, finally, yes. 
And, and what we find is prosecutors who can get indictments when it's black on black, white on white, you know, any other type of crime, find it so difficult to get an indictment when it's a police officer. And you always wonder, because, in, you know, these grand jury um, sessions are secret, what they're actually saying when they go into the grand jury, that they become so unable to get these indictments on the same basis that they get them for uh, civilians. But please tell us more about what you're working on, um, the protests again, give them the information and how people can keep up with what's going on with, with POP? Well, there, there's a lot going on. I wish we had more time, but I'll, I'll do the best I can quickly. Um, there are, are, are a number of cases we're dealing with. I'll mention a few of them. I, always, I already mentioned the Julia um, Dale uh, 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 killing by the Newton police, and, and we want people to come to this press conference uh, with us tomorrow at 11 in front of the federal building in Newark. But we're also dealing with other cases. There's the case of the Rodwell Spivey brothers who were assaulted by the police uh, um, two years ago. And we had some success in that case. Uh, there was a movement, not just POP, other organizations, a movement to support uh, the Rodwell Spivey brothers. And we were able, with the work of their brilliant attorney, Cynthia Hardaway, to get those charges downgraded out of superior and out of superior court they're now in remand court so you know uh there'll be less harm to the rodwell spivey brothers now but that fight goes on and she's filing uh she's going to file a suit in federal court because this is going to be a key case for racial profiling in the state of new jersey we have the case of bernard placide and we just demonstrate in 10 degree weather on Saturday, we demonstrated in front of the Englewood Police Department, an Englewood officer, Luana Sharp, shot and killed 22-year-old Bernard Placide in his own home. Yeah. And um, we're trying now to, to get the uh, state attorney general to move off the dime and get the U.S. attorney general to also uh, look into this case. And then there's the case of Carl Dorsey, which you mentioned which is, is one of the most egregious. Here's the mess. There's no dispute whatsoever that Carl Dorsey was unarmed when he was shot and killed by uh, Officer Detective Rod Simpkins. And uh, this case had been with the state attorney general uh, for two years because we have this independent prosecutor law that we fought for in New Jersey, which says when a local police officer kills someone, that investigation must be taken over by the state attorney general and not the local prosecutor of the county that that officer's police department is located in. And the attorney general had that case. This is just last week, two, last week, week before last, grand jury came back, two years silence, grand year, jury came back, no indictment of the officer that killed uh, Carl Dorsey. But we're not letting this nor the other cases go. Uh, we're going to continue this fight for Carl Dorsey. We've already demand, demanded that the U.S. attorney uh, investigate this case and bring civil rights charges against the officer that killed, that shot and killed Carl Dorsey, who was unarmed. But I, I want to just um, add this, and this is very important for people to get. Please listen, and especially for you, any activists listening to this in, in, uh, around the country, around the world who are, want to be a part of these, um, these cases and work with them, 
one bite of the apple does not end the uh, chance to um, gain an indictment. Prosecutors can go to the grand jury as often as they choose. I don't know why it's been put out there like, oh, we went and tried to get an indictment. We didn't get it. So therefore it is over. No, it's not. They have gone to grand juries time and time again. They could go with new evidence. They could go with a different attorney. There are there. There's no statute of limitation on the number of times for a prosecutor to go to a grand jury with evidence seeking an indictment. So you could demand that they try again to get an indictment. It's not a one-shot deal. And for some reason, they've made this message uh, as part of this, um, we, we tried and didn't get it, so therefore there's nothing else we can do. That is not the case. Well, Gloria, I'm glad to receive that information. I'm glad you put that out there. And we're going to go as many times as it takes. And we're going to keep fighting for justice for Carl Dorsey, for Gulia Dale, for uh, the Rodwell Spivey brothers, for Bernard Placide, and all the other victims. We even consider the case of Earl Faison, which happened uh, 24 years ago. We still consider that to be an open case. There's no statute of limitation on murder. That's right. That's right. So I just want to announce again uh, the press conference we're having uh, tomorrow. We really want people to meet us at the federal building in North New Jersey, 970 Broad Street, at 11 a.m. for this press conference on the Gulia Dale grand jury decision, 11 a.m. in front of the federal building, 970 Broad Street in downtown Newark, New Jersey. And we want everybody to come out again and join us on Saturday, February 25th, 12 o'clock noon, at the Lincoln Statue, uh, number 12 Springfield Avenue in downtown Newark, New Jersey, right there at the intersection of Springfield Avenue and West Market Street for the demonstration to protest the ban on black history. Thank you so much. And we're going to um, say um, not farewell, goodbye, and welcome back the next time because we're going to keep up with Larry Hamm and what's going on with the, um, the People's Organization for Progress. And what's that website? For people who uh, want yes. to get information, you can go to www.njpop.org. But it's really the best if you want to contact Pop. Call us at 973-801-0001. And I also want to invite people um, to the Black History Month program that will be held at Mount Zion Baptist Church on Sunday. Uh, February 19th at 11 a.m., 208 Broadway, in Newark, New Jersey. I will be the guest speaker at that program and will address uh, these issues and action on these issues like the ones we have discussed today. Thank you so much for having me, Gloria. Thank you so much, Larry, and, and keep the faith. We're so proud and honored that you're out there fighting the good fight. This is Law of the Land with Gloria J. Brown Marshall. That was Larry Hamm, um, creator and director of, of 
powerful grassroots organization that's been, um, as I said, in the trenches, um, making sure that um, justice has a face and a place. And when it's not taking place, he's there to make sure that we all know it. It's great to have him there representing what is right and good. We'll be right back after this short musical break from Scotland. We'll hear about black history. From Scotland, we'll find out about what's taking place there. And uh, for our Black History Month, that's what's going on right now. We're going to hear about their black history. We'll be right back. expand take your time only on your command bury your mind and let your thoughts expand just unwind look to your promised land <laughs> don't hold on to hatred that can be a heavy load you can be free let it take you where you want to Inside of you, listen to your soul, be who you desire to free your mind. Just let your thoughts expand. Freedom to love inside, child, woman, and man. Free your mind. Just let your thoughts expand. Take back your time, you will find love is kind. And sublime when you free your mind. to that. That is Scotland jazz. <laughs> yes, it is Scotland jazz. And so I'm here with someone I consider uh, not just a, a member of my committee of international uh, ASALA. International ASALA and ASALA, remember, is the Association for the Study of African American Life and History. And for full disclosure, I am a executive council member for the association and I am also chair of an international committee and on that international committee is Nelson Cummins and Nelson is um, representing Scotland on our international committee and what's so fascinating about him is uh, a member of, of the uh, Coalition for Racial Equality and Rights an organization we can say is kind of like our NAACP, but he can tell us more about it himself. Good morning, Nelson, or I should say good afternoon where you are, right? Yeah, yeah good afternoon, Gloria. Um, thank you for having me on. 
Well, we're so excited, and I, I want people to know more about a Coalition for Racial Equality and Rights and about Black History Month and all that you're doing. You have an amazing Black History program there. I mean, even though your Black History is in October, but uh, you are part of our international committee, and so um, you are so kind and generous to share um, your Black History program resources and materials with us during February. So we want to make sure that everybody knows that they can actually go see um, and be um, on the line when you give your um, Black History program as part of uh, Black History Month here in the United States. But tell us more about um, your um, work that you do in Scotland around um, Black History and, and the community there. Yeah, of course. Um, so a lot of our work uh, here in Scotland is uh, focused on uh, sort of campaigning work and research work um, that's aiming to sort of drive forward the campaign uh, for racial equality in Scotland. And one of the issues that we found in our work is that there is a real um, lack of knowledge about the reality of life for black people in Scotland. So we do a lot of research work to sort of highlight the ways in which racism impacts uh, black lives in Scotland. And that also uh, informs a lot of our black history work as well. Um, black history is really at the heart of Scottish history. You know, in Scotland, um, much like in America, we have a history that's been heavily impacted by um, slavery and the legacies of slavery. Uh, and there are lots of sort of stories of black history around that that impact Scotland. But there are also lots of uh, inspiring histories of black people in Scotland too. You know, uh, individuals who've achieved amazing things who are black and Scottish. Um, people like Maud Salter, Andrew Watson, um, amongst many other people. So our black history work is sort of aims to highlight their stories, but it also aims to highlight the legacies of slavery and the legacies of empire and those things that Scotland has been a part of and how they impact and create racism in present day Scotland as well. And Creer, am I pronouncing it right? C-R-E-R. Creer's yeah. work and C-R-E-R. -E and um, how did that organization come to be? Yeah, so uh, we were founded, um, so we were originally uh, called the Glasgow Anti-Racist Alliance, and we were founded, I think, back in 2001 uh, by Jatin uh, Harrier, who is, not, who is still our uh, executive director today. I think we became CRER around 2009, 2010. Um, and it's, yeah, so I think we sort of founded um, out of this, desire to do um, sort of work and campaigning work to achieve racial equality in Scotland, but also because the, I think also part of the reason for the formation of the organisation is because of some of the things I mentioned, there was this recognition that even though, you know, we know that racism exists in Scotland, there wasn't necessarily um, a lot of knowledge and a lot of evidence as to how it exists, specifically on a structural level, so how ethnic minority people in Scotland experience different rates of poverty, for example, and things like that. So I think it forms out of that desire for there to be more of an evidence base to then um, give sort of more impetus to campaigning work to achieve racial equality here. Great. C-R-E-R -E dot org 
CreerHealthLife.uk. So for those of us who want to know more, CreerHealthLife.org.uk. Coalition for Racial Equality and Rights. And you have an amazing website. And I hope people go to CreerHealthLife.org.uk to see some of the resources there and the extraordinary films and, and others. But you had your Black History Month in October. And now you've joined us to share these resources uh, about black history um, in February. What date are you going to have your black history program here? Um, so I think it's going to be a week today, uh, 14th of February. And if people want to go to Asala, A-S-A-L-H dot org, that's for the Association for the Study of African American Life and History, A-S-A-L as in life, H as in history, dot org. You can see the calendar of black history events. My event, which was on Queen and Zynga, was on Sunday. And so there are other events all month long. And this is one of the international events. We have about five or six international events, and this is one of them. So you have to be there. Tell us, give us a couple of examples. Tell us what you're going to, to talk about. Just give us a little taste. Yeah, of course. Um, so we're going to talk about um, that theme of black resistance that's running through the month. Um, and we're going to try and talk about that in the context of Glasgow. And um, so to do that, we've picked out a couple of examples of uh, black resistance that took place and happened in the city of Glasgow historically. And one of the things that we're going to explore uh, is the influence and impact of Frederick Douglass on the city. So we know that Douglass... Uh, came to Glasgow on a speaking tour in 1846 and spoke at multiple venues in the city and actually used the city as his base while he toured all around Scotland. So we're going to explore that and we're also going to use that as a way to talk about other uh, sort of inspiring black figures who've impacted uh, Scottish life and Scottish society through engaging in acts of resistance. That is fantastic. And as all of you know, Frederick Douglass was formerly enslaved here in the United States, and he grew to be this, this statesman after he escaped from slavery up to the north. And he was a publisher of a newspaper. Um, he was someone who was, <clears throat> excuse me, an advisor to Abraham Lincoln. Um, and then to hear that he traveled internationally in the 1840s is amazing to follow that path around. Tell us about someone in um, Scottish black history we should know about, but we don't. Yeah, of course. Um, so I think personally comes to mind uh, for me who we should know about, but don't. Um, so there is a man uh, called Andrew Watson, uh, who is one of the sort of first uh, black people to play uh, soccer for Scotland. Uh, and he played for Scotland in the late 1800s. And he was born uh, as the son of a um, an enslaved mother and uh, an enslaver of a father. And he ends up in the late 1800s uh, becoming Scot not only Scotland's first black soccer player uh, and captain in Scotland, but he also sets up and founds a black sort of led and run uh, soccer team here in Glasgow um, called Park Grove Football Club. And that team is the home of many of Scotland's sort of first black soccer players like Watson himself. It also has players of Asian heritage playing for the club. And it's one of these sort of first examples 
of a sort of multicultural, diverse soccer club. Um, and it's really something that's really unique to me because there's here we have someone who sets up a sort of black run and black led club at a time when it just wasn't heard of. But also when you actually look at the sort of history of soccer, um, particularly soccer in Glasgow, there isn't another club that is sort has as many black players as that and is as multicultural as Park Grove FC until well into the 1990s. So actually this club is almost a hundred years ahead of its time. Uh, and I think he is someone who is getting more and more recognition in Glasgow, but I think really should be remembered as a sort of inspirational figure in Scottish history, particularly with soccer being the national sport, one of the national sports of Scotland, probably Scotland's most popular sport. He's not remembered uh, in the same way and to the level that he should be. And he should definitely be someone who's more famous and more well-known across the world, but particularly here in Scotland as well. That is absolutely amazing. And what years did he play? Um, yeah, so he played, uh, he made his debut for Scotland in the 1880s uh, and he part growth, the team that he set up, played in the 1890s as well. Uh, and the team played from sort of 1890 to about 1900 and then the team sort of eventually stopped to cease to exist as he, uh, due to work, had an opportunity to move uh, to Liverpool in England uh, and he, as he was the sort of main financial backer of the club. I think that led to the club to cease to exist. But during that sort of 10, 15 year, year period, um, the club was in existence. He was the sort of main driving force behind it. That is absolutely amazing. And no, I did not know about that. And it should be known by others that to have someone who has contributed so much and um, be able to to have that sense of pride and the black resistance is, I think, also in knowing the history and not allowing yourselves to believe that there were no contributions, large and small, to the making of society, to resist the notion that you're lesser than and that the history was not there and it's all just European history without any other people. I think that's also a part of black resistance. What do you think? Absolutely. I think that. I think that is a huge part of it. I think there's definitely something very empowering in knowing, um, in knowing how that history has impacted where you live, where you're from. Um, I think it's very, to me, whenever I've sort of learned more about black history, uh, I find it very powerful because, um, so I was, I grew up in England and in my sort of education there, I learned very little about black history, despite its importance. So whenever I get the opportunity um, to learn more about it, to learn more about um, sort of inspiring black people and all the different ways we've sort of influenced the world, and I find it very empowering. And I feel like I'm getting to know more and more of myself and my own history and finding that out. That is so true. I thank you so much for joining me, Nelson. And once again, tell us about, as we wind up, um, uh, C-R-E-R, um, very quickly, uh, where they can find more information. Yeah, of course. Um, so you can find more information about us uh, on our website, uh, www.crer.org.uk. We also have a Black History Month website, which is www.blackhistorymonthscotland.org. Uh, you can find out more information there. We have loads of our work, 
our research on there. We've got loads of recordings, talks, old programs, things like that. We also have a ongoing project that is a black history map of Scotland and that has lots and lots of different sort of sites in Scotland that have some connection to black history uh, on it. And it's something that we're adding to all the time as well. So definitely would encourage you all to have a look at that. And thank you very much for having me on today. Thank you so much, Nelson. Black History Month Scotland. It is filled with fascinating information. And I thank you and look forward also to your program, which is February 14th next week at 12 p.m. If you go to the Asala calendar, A-S for study, A-S-A-L-H dot org, you will see the 14th of February, Glasgow and Black Resistance. Thank you so much, Nelson Cummins. Thank you very much. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Great. This is Law of the Land with Gloria J. Brown Marshall. Fascinating, fascinating. As you know, it's because of this station, because of WBAI, I'm able to give you this information. I wouldn't be able to do it without the assistance of a radio station. I would be home alone thinking all these things and having no platform to share it with you. So please consider being a BAI buddy. Becoming a BAI buddy is very simple, and all you have to do is make sure that they know that you are pledging 212-209-2950, 212-209-2950. Become a BAI buddy. Become a subscriber if you can, 212-209-2950. Where else are you going to hear all that has to be said by Larry Ham, an activist who's been in the trenches for nearly 52 years? He has been working and striving and putting his all into bringing justice in New Jersey. You get to hear him speak more than a few seconds or a minute or sharing a platform with so many other people. You get to hear what he has to say in the mind that he has. He's a Princeton graduate, I want you to know. 212-209-2950, 212-209-2950. So pledge, support, law of the land. I also want you to know that on the February 22nd, February 22nd is a Wednesday. I am going to be interviewing Secretary Lonnie Bunch III. Lonnie Bunch is also from New Jersey. He is now the secretary of the Smithsonian Institution. When I say the secretary, I don't mean he's giving dictation or taking down notes. I mean he's the director of it. There are over 22 museums under the Smithsonian's leadership. He is the director of it, the secretary of the Smithsonian. He is the founding director of the National African American Museum. Yes, that gorgeous museum. He's the one who shepherded it to the end that it exists because of his leadership. And it's that leadership I'm going to be talking about on February 22nd. I am going to be interviewing Lonnie Bunch III the secretary of the Smithsonian Institution, and you need to get your ticket. Yes, you need a ticket for this. And that ticket is something that you can get online at asala.org, A-S-A-L-H.org, the Association for the Study of African American Life and History.org. I am interviewing this man on leadership, the secrets of leadership. 
the secrets of leadership. He's going to tell us how. He went from being this regular guy in New Jersey, rising up to be the founding director of the National African American Museum that's on the plaza of Washington, D.C., then to become the secretary of the entire Smithsonian that has publications, it has that magazine, it has a zoo and 22 museums. And this is the first black man to ever do this. First black person to ever be secretary. I'm going to be interviewing him. This has been a thank you for joining me. And this is this has been a, a show that's had its ups and downs with Florida, with Larry Ham. But black resistance means that we're going to carve out joy no matter what. We are worthy allies seeking worthy allies. Thank you, Michael G. And I'll see you on the radio.